You want Philly food? Welcome to Huddle Up. I'm your host, Matias Bueno. This is the podcast where prominent football figures take you through a playbook of how the game has helped them face challenges, overcome adversity, and be a better version of themselves. Philly special. Ready? Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest Team Canada football athletes, athletic trainer, Saskatchewan Rush, game host, Saskatchewan Rough Rider, game day host 2017, former player of the Legends Football League, University of Regina, dual university athlete, Price is Right car winner. She is found at amandabolic.com, her website. She has training services. She has her cookbook. She has lots of great stuff for you guys. None other than Amanda Ruler. Welcome to the very first episode of this podcast. Yay. I'm so honored. This is awesome. Amanda, you got a, an insanely decorated resume that speaks for itself, super athletic, many features of sports. In the context of football, different involvement at different levels, let's, let's dial it back a little bit. And I want to ask of the origins. What, what was like, you're, you're a Regina girl, what was life like growing up in Regina for you? And, and how did maybe where you grew up shape the activities that you participated in and how you continue to, to go from different activity to different activity in different sports. What was it family influence or what was that like? Oh, that's a good question because sometimes people want to know like how this all started. So when I was young, I was put in like all the sports. I was put in soccer and gymnastics and even figure skating. And I think that's such a good base for, uh, youth because then they get to get to know like what discipline is like for an athlete and what dedication is like and what training is like and going through those motions and I learned that from such a young age that I carried that throughout my life so doing those few sports when I was young I transferred over to another sport to another sport and I was always encouraged by my family so my mom and dad were like my biggest supporters through sport. They would drive me to every soccer practice. And my dad was even like my soccer coach a few times on a few different teams, which was awesome. And then continued through high school. I did track and field through high school. And I realized I was super fast for um, a female, let alone anybody. I was racing all the boys at uh, lunchtime. So I actually broke a few track and field records even in my youth in high school and I was like I think that I could make this into something and from there I was recruited to the University of Regina to be on the track team but I also had a love for soccer so I did um, I was a dual sport athlete I did two sports at the exact same time and I started excelling more in um, track and field so I started getting like top of my CIS at the time it was called CIS ranking and um, can west all-star type of thing for 60 meter so I broke the University of Regina 60 meter record and 300 meter record because it's indoor. So we do um, 60 and 300 and then outdoor we did 100 and 200. So I was fortunate enough to be fast enough to participate in kind of like the Olympic trial games for the Olympics. I never made the Olympics. I hate to say that, but I did participate a few times trying to make it there. Obviously that was a big goal of mine and a big goal for my family, which, which pushed me like they never told me I couldn't do something in my life especially as a female athlete. My dad 
was my biggest supporter, drove me to every practice, every, every track practice, every running day. And when I said I didn't want to go, he said, you're going to regret it. Like you regret everything that you don't do in life. So I kind of use that as kind of my dedication and fuel to go to these um, practices and get better. And from there, I was recruited to be on Team Canada bobsled um, and skeleton team. So I did bobsled for a little bit. And then I continued to skeleton because I couldn't gain enough weight for bobsled. I, I kept trying, kept trying, and I wasn't put on the um, bigger teams because I didn't weigh enough. I'm only five foot. I was like trying to get 130 pounds. So I ended up doing skeleton. And I was on the North American Cup circuit, which was so much fun. And I loved participating in that. And at that time um, that I was participating, my dad had fell ill to uh, brain cancer and he passed away. So to me, I was like, oh my gosh, like this was such a huge struggle in my life. Cause I was like, he's my biggest supporter. What do I, how do I go on? Like, what do I do? How do I do another event or participate without him? But then I, I almost turned that into that overwhelming grief into overwhelming motivation because I used that and I actually drove to Los Angeles and I did a tryout for a football team there because him and I used to go to CFL games all the time. And I was like, dad, I really want to play football. And he's like, there's no football for, for women in Saskatchewan at the time, at that time. So I, and there is now, which I'm grateful for. And so I drove to Los Angeles and I did this open tryout for the Legends Football League um, right after he passed away. Cause I was like, I want to do something cool for my dad. And they said, no, like that I was too short. <laughs> so um, I had run the 40 like three times cause they didn't believe how fast I was. I wore, I ran a four seven and they're like, no, 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 hold on, let's do it again. And I did it three times cause they didn't believe my speed cause I had that from track and field. And I said, no, I'm going to make this happen for my life. Like I can't say no to sports. Like plan A has always been to be a professional athlete. So I said, when are your practices? And I showed up at the practices. I sat on the sidelines for, you know, a few weeks. And finally they're like, okay, they called me Canada. They're like, get in, get in. Cause it was in Los Angeles, get in the practice. So I started practicing with them quite a bit. And then I ended up starting in my first game and that was kind of it. So I played for Los Angeles and then I played for at the Atlanta steam team just cause I wanted to switch it up. I wanted to be on the different side of the U S I've never been there before. Why not? And I got to travel all over the place with um, the teams and it was amazing. I got to see parts of the States I never thought I would before. And then I went on to play team Canada women's world's football team. So that's the fully clothed league, um, not on TV cause the legends football league was on TV at the time. And uh, we got to play in a world's tournament, which was in Vancouver, BC against the USA was our final game for the gold medal. And we had lost. So we got a silver medal, which was amazing. And um, so that tournaments every four years. So hopefully we're going to have it again next season, next year in um, 2021. And now I participate in Olympic lifting because my main motivation is like, I am going to keep going. I'm actually 32 years old. And I, my plan A, I know you're like, what? You don't look 32. Impossible. Plan A's <laughs> impossible. Um, I want to be a professional athlete and whatever that takes is I'm trying to make the Canadian team for Olympic lifting. And I think I'm pretty close to the cusp of kind of with the, the numbers I need to hit. So I really want to make that happen for me. And right now I'm currently the Saskatchewan record holder for clean, uh, snatch and clean and jerk in my weight class, which is 55 kilograms. 
So my records are 70 kilogram snatch and 90 kilogram clean and jerk. So that's kind of like a brief synopsis of my athletic journey and who, who motivates me is my family first and foremost. And I don't, I know I talk a lot about my mom, but I do want to mention that, uh, sorry, I talk a lot about my dad, but I do want to mention my mom has been such a driving force in my life because she such an independent woman, career oriented. And without her, I don't think I'd be who I am today with my drive and my goal setting and my independence. So to go back to the impact of your parents had, you talked about the passing of your father really injected a great sense of motivation. What was it when growing up, what, what were more of his tactics of the ways in which he connected with you to really make you feel engaged in sport? Because traditionally when people's, when people are resisting against their parents, yeah. their parents will resist back twice as hard. But how did it feel or what was the reaction when he said, you know, listen, Amanda, like you're, you're going to regret what you don't do. What were some of the other things that he did to really integrate and, and create intrinsic value for you in sport that, that made you want to try everything? Because some kids will give up after one sport or some kids will, will grow tired of it. But what kept you going? What, what did he do and, and what kind of impact did he have with, with his methods on, on creating that intrinsic value for you with sport? Um, can, sorry, can we just pause for one second? There's someone at the door. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no worries. No worries. So we talked about, um, you're kind of asking me about intrinsic motivation, right? Yeah. So how did, how did your dad's methods really create intrinsic motivation for you in playing sports and in the desire to play multiple sports and to, to always take it to a higher level and to keep and have this maintained many years after his passing and, and for many more years into the future? I, as I was growing up, like I was never, ever, ever told that like a female couldn't be as good as a male. So to me, whenever I saw guys playing football or guys doing athletic things, I thought like I could do that too, which is huge because my dad said I could be the best athlete I can be no matter what, if I just push hard. So I had this overwhelming kind of sense of pride in who I was as an athlete. And I would try everything that I have a brother. So me and my brother were just super competitive. I would do every single thing my brother did. So we played soccer and my dad would be there coaching and I would do track and field and my dad would be there filming and recording and telling me like, okay, you could do this better or you could do that better. So he was always pushing me to be great. And he never said I couldn't be. So I always thought I was born to be different. I was born to be something bigger than I am. And it's not that I'm not satisfied with the level of sports I achieve. It's I'm always striving to the next level. So it's like when an achievement is unlocked, you try to go to the next one. So the, probably the biggest struggle is after he passed away, I said, how can I go on without him? How do I keep going? But I had to turn that into keep going in his name. So that was an internal struggle for me because even I said that to myself, but me warming up for events, like I was warming up for a track meet, knowing like he wouldn't be there. I'd actually started to like cry because I know that he wasn't there, but I turned that into, no, okay. You have to like focus. You have to think that he's watching from above. And I know that's such a, like a weird thing to think about, but you have to think about the him being with you in that moment instead of him not being there at all, because he, he definitely is. So I turned it into, I got to do everything in his name. And that's why I talk about him so much is because I don't want to forget him. I want to remember that he's actually the driving force of everything that I do. So if I ever think about giving up, 
I always think about, okay, well, he's not even here to live a day and I have all these days to live. Like I need to live for his name and on behalf of him because he wanted to do so much with his life. But I mean, like once he had kids, he had to focus on that. And like, I was the light or me and my brother were the light of his life. So he gave up so much for us. I got to live on in his name and do the things that he would have loved doing. He would have loved seeing me participate in football. And he never, he never got that chance because when we were watching football together, I said, dad, why don't, why don't women play football? And he's like, you know what? I don't know. They should. He never said I couldn't. He said they should. And that's why I wanted to play so bad because I'm like, dad, like I could do this. I want you to see me do this, but he passed away before I was able to. And that to me was just such a, a missed opportunity for, to see him, let him see me play football. And I wish that he could have. So that's such a huge driving force for me is playing football in his name. The, the motivation of, of, of the passing of loved ones is, can be at times one of the strongest forces like no other. And it sounds like the profound impact he had has really helped with carrying how you figure out the ways to keep going and, and the why of, and, and the reasoning behind why you do things. And, and it keeps you, keeps you motivated and it keeps pushing you. And what, what made football, was, was he more football oriented or what was it that made football carry a greater spark throughout your life than maybe other sports or, or was football the original sport that really impacted you the most with, which is why you wanted to play it. And was it from watching or was it from, from playing it first or how did, how did the calibration of, of football come into your life that made it feel so, so right to play and so right to be around? I just, when my father would take me to CFL games, I think that was my favorite moment of us being together because he he would teach me about the game. Like every time he would talk about the play development and talk about watch this, or this is my favorite player because, and that was like our bonding time. And I guess I was just curious at the time why women couldn't play. I was just like, dad, why couldn't women play? So we would actually come home and we would play in the yard. So he would always be tossing me a football and we'd be playing football at the park. And I think that sparked a lot of joy for me because he, he and I were bonding. We were enjoying something together that was so powerful. Although yeah, we did play soccer together. I think for me, like it was kind of, there wasn't that element for women at the time that made it more so attractive for me to try to get into because I wanted to be almost like a pioneer. And I was because me just driving to Los Angeles on my own, no family, no friends, all by myself trying to make this work because I want to be a pioneer for women. Like I want to show them that they can do whatever they want, regardless of the situation is you see a lot of men participating in this sport. That's very male driven and why can't women do it? And I think that was a big driving force for me is I wanted to make that happen because a lot of my um, desire is that I hope that I inspire other women in some aspect to lift weights and be big, strong, athletic women and be independent and be able to play football or baseball or whatever you want to play, but just go do it and make it happen for you. So it became this attractive sport because it was almost taboo in the aspect that women weren't um, really associated with the word football. And I wanted to make that happen for me and to um, shake the narrative a little bit and make it so like when you think of football, also think of women in the same sentence. 
so you talk about being a pioneer and how you want it to be that, that trailblazer, that person that created a path for women in football. And now we have the WWCFL. There's girls football, Saskatchewan and Manitoba have been two provinces that have led the way for creating opportunities for girls and women to play football. What does it mean to you now? And how, does, how do the feelings resonate with you knowing in the time that you were embarking on this journey that we would be brought to this time where now there is a football league for women in Western Canada. Now there is opportunity for uh, girls football in provinces across Canada. What does it mean for you to, to see this manifesting now over time and, and how does it, does it continue to drive you or, or what are the feelings related to the evolution of football for women? I think it's quite amazing to see the evolution of football for women because a lot of women are stepping up and being like, I love to play football and I'm going to play it. And that's so inspiring in, in its own aspect. There's tons of women, even in Saskatchewan that play and they're, they're beasts. They're really great and they're fast and they're big and they're, they're strong and they're agile and they can kick, they can do what they can do it all. And it's almost like opening the door to maybe be like, okay, could we see maybe like a kicker in the CFL someday? Could we see someone in the NFL? And I love seeing like the evolution of um, coaching and football as well. It's like, even in the NFL, you see a lot of women. Uh, actually, there was a woman on the U.S. team that is now coaching um, in the NFL. I think a uh, strength and conditioning coach, or um, I forget what aspect she's coaching as, but she's there or special teams. These women are getting injected in these leagues and it's amazing to see the evolution of that because when I started out at the University of Regina I was um, applying for different positions like I want to be a football trainer and being told like no you're female was huge for me huge they wouldn't even give me an interview and now I actually worked with the University of Regina Rams football team as a speed trainer because they're seeing not only do I know what I'm talking about, I have the chops to back it up because of my 40 time or because I've worked with great athletes along my career that this information is invaluable regardless of my gender. And I think that's huge. Um, seeing these women push boundaries and get into these positions where it's not normally um, seen. And I think it's such a cool evolution to watch. So you played in the United States in the Legends Football League. That would have been one of the greatest experiences I'm sure maybe besides playing team Canada for being a female football player, what impact did you feel that you and your teammates had on the community and on the opportunity that was given to you to really embark on show, showcasing women playing football and showing that they can do it. And what was the embodiment of that experience being in the U S because many people out there may not, may not be as familiar with the legends football league. So what, what was the journey through your time playing in the, in America like? It was so much fun. So my journey into the U.S. and playing for a team on the U.S., the Legends Football League was actually pretty huge there because it was television-based. Like, it was on um, a network at the time. And so a lot of people knew who we were. And when you go out, people wanted to actually take pictures with you and sign autographs. And I thought that was so amazing because finally I was kind of – in in a sport where people kind of knew who you were like we were on tv we became these idols for um other females out there that were maybe too shy to get involved in sport and they were like this is inspiring for me and after the games all of our home games we actually signed autographs after and i remember this one moment this 
young girl like came up to me. She she was probably 10 years old. And she said, I want to be as fast as you when I grow up. Can you sign my hat? And my heart melted because I had touched someone with just like my speed. Like she hadn't looked at me um, because I'm, oh, you're a female playing football. She looked at me because of my speed aspect. And I thought that was that just opened so many doors for me. Cause I was just like, I can, I can inspire people in a way with my athletic ability and my talent that I probably couldn't have touched on a, um, a different scale. I do enjoyed playing sports in the U S cause it was such a different experience. So many different friends from all over the States, which I've never probably would have met before and getting to meet these girls and see their background. So originally when the league came out, I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of models cause that's what they pitched but dang like when I came on the team it was you had to have a sporting background to get in it like I had an extensive sporting background but I had to keep up with all these other women that had played like baseball and and volleyball or like track and field and all these other cool sports and I had to catch up because they were like they were coming they're bringing it all the time and it was no joke football because a lot of people probably saw it as um oh it's just powder puff league but we hit we hit with less padding so <laughs> we were sometimes getting messed up um, worse than the guys probably do. Cause so for example, when I came to team Canada, we had full pads. I was like, Oh, this is no, this is no problem at all. Like <laughs> I can get hit. It was quite an experience and I had so much fun doing it. And I love the United States for that aspect because we were kind of um, we would actually go out and do fundraisers for different charities and projects throughout the community. And the community actually loved us. So they invited us to tons and tons of things just to do appearances and we even did a charity football game i'm gonna say this one um with snoop dog one time he invited the legends football girls to come play football with him and there was just like a whole bunch of different celebrities there and it was so much fun like the la clippers were there and oh my gosh like wiz khalifa that was probably the best day ever it's like oh, getting what year was this <laughs> oh boy um so because you know like snoop dog um is very involved in like football in California and he invited us geez I think that was 2014 or 15 but we yeah we got to play football with them um so that was pretty that was probably one of the huger charity moments that we um got to do so we were always doing stuff like that Los Angeles oh my goodness that the lore of Snoop Dogg and football is just so powerful across like all, all our facets of pop culture, especially within the United States of America. So what was that actually like? Like, did, like, did you guys get to like talk with them? Like, what, what did he say? Like, what, what did, what did the, the Clippers players do? Where, where did you guys play? What was it like to be in front of like one of the most famous musician celebrities? And now he's transcended music to just being a culture icon. What was that actually like? Just being able to sit there and be like, wow, Snoop Dogg is really in front of my, in front of my face. Like he's really in my presence. Like this is insane. Yeah, it, it definitely just like that. So it was a little surreal because I grew up in, you know, Regina, Saskatchewan. So we didn't see a lot of huger celebrities and me going there and getting like hit in the face with like Snoop Dogg just in front of me. I was okay. Like I was, I was pretty chill. I was composed because I knew we had to play football. So I was like a little nervous to show off my skills. Um, but it was fun because it was a charity game. So it was just super fun. And everyone, he was so chill. He was so nice at the time. Like he was just like, oh, okay guys, like we're going to have fun today. And like, we're going to do this for charity. And there was like tons of patrons just around watching the game. And like all these celebrities were just hanging out on the side, like 
just chatting and having fun. So I made sure I tried to talk to everything, everybody. And um, I remember Blake Griffith was not on my team. He was on the other team and he's like eight feet tall. I swear to God, I said, Hey Blake. And he looked over me. I've never had somebody look over my head before, but he, he I don't think he actually even saw me. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, they had like all these, um, and, like Ray J was there at the time. And it was just, that was probably the biggest celebrity moment I've ever had, especially like when, when you go to Los Angeles, like I'm going to meet all these celebrities. It's going to be cool. We never did until that charity football game. And um, that was fun. That's, that sounds like an, a, a fairy tale experience. You could almost say <laughs> being around so many famous athletes, musicians, people, Los Angeles, and that, and you're right. That is a stereotype and a joke that people make, especially from the Midwest. I know that in Manitoba, Saskatchewan, even in the Midwest, United States, North Dakota, South Dakota, they always say, Oh, you know, things people say from the Midwest when they go to Los Angeles. Oh, so when are we going to see Justin Bieber? You know, when Snoop Dogg showing up or when are we going to see, you know, Harry Styles or somebody, someone super famous. And it's crazy to think that, oh yeah, you know, like we're not seeing anyone famous and all of a sudden, okay, you're playing football with Snoop Dogg and Blake Griffin and the LA Clippers and here you go and just jump into it. And that was at a time too, when the Clippers were actually starting to get good. So like, that's, yeah. that was a big deal. It wasn't the eighties, right? Where the Clippers are not good. So yeah. that sounds like super incredible. And you talked about the struggle when you first got to Los Angeles. So in between when you first got into the team and when you went to Atlanta, what was the most difficult challenge you faced being in the U.S., right? Like a, from a Regina yeah. city is essentially a small town in, in Canada, let alone America. So what was the most difficult challenge you faced in, faced in the U.S. And, and how did you face it head on? Or what was the thing you did to, to go through that challenging experience? And what was it that you learned on the outside of that? Okay. And I, I'm going to be, can I be honest with you? Yes, hundred percent. Okay. Okay. I'm going to be very transparent because this was a huge struggle for me and I hope that this doesn't happen to anyone else. So I'm from Regina and I, I trust everyone <laughs> and I was very, um, I went on this website to kind of like book somewhere to live. Like I rented an apartment and when I had got there, it wasn't true. Somebody had scammed me. I know, I know. You're like, holy smokes, Amanda. I've only seen that um, on TV. Like, <laughs> that happened to me. I know you're like, oh, well, you had this pretty good life. Like, all this cool stuff happened to you. Okay, I literally got scammed. Um, I talked to the person on the phone. Like, we even voice chat, like, video chatted and everything. And because um, obviously I didn't live there. So I rented this apartment. I get there. That person does not live there. It was someone else's place. So, I was homeless. I was homeless. I had nowhere to go. I tried to rent an apartment, but they wanted to see like your credit score. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I don't have a credit score in the States because I'm Canadian. So I couldn't make it happen. Like, like everywhere I tried to go, like it, like I couldn't rent anything. Um, so I was homeless for a month. I was homeless. I was living in my car outside of a CrossFit gym. And I was going to practice and I was too proud to ask anyone for help at the time uh, on my team because I didn't really know them. Right. And I was all obviously trying to make the team because I like they originally said no. And I was like, dang, like, I got to make this happen. So I was living in my car outside of I had this big SUV outside of um, a CrossFit gym because I go in and work out for like do weights and then I do have a shower until somebody said, are you OK? And I was like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm having a really hard time finding a place to live everywhere I go. Like, cause I got kind of, I told them my story 
and they were like, would you like to rent a room from us at this, at this gym? Like not at the gym, but at their place. And I was like, yes, thank you. And they took me in and it was a nice family. And I got to live with them. And um, that was a huge struggle is I didn't realize like how naive I was. I think living in Canada is like, you have to have a little tougher skin when you go out into the real world, <laughs> when the population's a little bit bigger than 200,000 from Regina. And I, I learned to be more savvy. I'm going to tell you that. So now I'm super savvy and I will like triple, double million check, check facts and figures now. And um, I don't trust uh, a lot of people. Well, I don't want to say that, but I triple check things now and I make sure everything's legit because I never want that to happen to anyone I know again or myself. And that was like such a huge eye opener for me. It's like, you have to be savvy if you're going to go out to the real world. Like sometimes some stuff is going to happen to you like that, no matter what it is. Like it could be like, you could, you could put money on a GoFundMe page and someone for a fake illness or something. It could be, you could be scammed in any way these days. Like there could be a prince asking for money and I fell victim to one and I couldn't believe it. Um, and I, I said, no, like I'm going to make this journey for myself happen. Like I could have easily turned around. I could have easily came back home to Saskatchewan and been like, mom, like I failed, but I didn't. And I didn't let her know. And because I wanted to make that happen because I was just so upset about, I think my dad's passing and I didn't want to like make her more upset that I was failing in real life too. So I just made it happen. And I think getting over that was also so huge for me because you learn these life lessons, you adjust and you adapt. And it showed me like resilience in a different way is like, you have to keep going no matter the situation. And a lot of people don't know that about me. So I was happy that I got to kind of sh share that story with you. That's <laughs> failure. I feel is something that people so heavily try to avoid. And obviously, like you mentioned, you can be scammed in any way like failure yeah. sometimes and being duped and having these things happen is almost inevitable. It's just a matter of how you're going to handle it. So do you feel that that situation was one of the biggest experiences of, I guess, failure in some sense of the word of not securing a place? And was that, would you say one of the lowest moments of being like of your tenure in the United States? Or did you feel that that prepared you for even tougher battles ahead that happened? Or maybe when you transferred over to Atlanta, when you're on a different team. Yeah, I think, I think that that prepared me for tougher battles ahead because now it showed me like, okay, like you can, and it also showed me that you could reach out to people because a lot of the time I think, I think we think that we're bothering people with things that are happening around us. And I was very strong-willed and independent. It showed me more that I need to reach out to people. So when I did move to Atlanta, I reached out to teammates. I said, I know I don't know you guys. Does anyone have a room? And somebody did have a room um, in South Carolina. So I ended up living with her and we would commute to practice and we would stay with other teammates while we were there for like the four or five days. And then we'd go back and forth. And it just, it showed me like, if I could live literally in my car, I could do anything to be honest, because like that was very, a low point, like a very, very low point in my life. Like I just, you know, I lost my father. I was very angry at the world. Like, what do I do next? and I had nowhere to live <laughs> and I was in a foreign country. I know it's not U.S. to Canada is not that bad, but it still was a different country and different currency and different um, ways of living and I had to adjust. I didn't have my regular gym. I didn't have my regular laundromat. Like I didn't have my regular things and I think people are so afraid 
of going into the unknown and starting over. And I literally had to do that. I had to start over from scratch. And it sucks at first, but the, the different journey your life could go on is so huge that every time someone's like, oh, should I start over? What, what should I do? I don't know what to do. I'm like, start over. See where life takes you. It took me in a different direction. Like, who knows? Maybe if I would have stayed here and I did come back to Regina, but I don't know where my life would have been. Like, I, maybe I wouldn't be the same person I am today. And I definitely, I want to say it, I leveled up as a, as a human is like just taking on a new challenge. If I always do the same thing, I'm always going to be the same person. But I took on that challenge. I was like, okay, hey, how can I make this better? Just like the quarantine. Okay, how can I still train? It's just adjusting. And I think people are so fearful of like the adjustment period of a challenge that it deters them from doing it and they never do it. So I think that's something so huge. So through all this, this is in the name of football and this is in the name of, of participating in sports. Do you feel that there was a parallel between the things that you learned from football and this, this hardship that you faced going down to a new country, new currency, no one that you know, no friends, no, no parents there with you? What was it from sport that you feel might've given you a subconscious edge on how to deal with the situation? And what was it that made you not turn around and say, you know what, I'm not going to go back to Saskatchewan. Like I'm going to stay here and we're going to, you know, fix this through hell or high water. If even if, the, if, even if I have to put my leg over my head, like it's going to get done no matter what. I think even football teaches you like how to be resilient. So for example, if you're running back and you get hit as hard as you can and you go down, like you have to get up and you have to keep going and you have to keep doing like the next play. And I, I learned resilience in that resiliency in that way is like, just keep going, just keep, keep pushing, just keep pedaling those feet. Like no matter if you take one little step every single day and that's how I look at it. It's like, okay, I'm getting 1% better every single day. It taught me to do that because sometimes through sport, like the end goal is the goal. So you're like, okay, I want to make the Olympic team. But if you're not having fun along the way with the journey, it's like, is that goal worth it? So it taught me to be resilient, to keep going, no matter what the situation, no matter if, if you are stuck in a situation where you're like, there's no hope and there might not be a way out. It's thinking how, how it's like thinking, how can I go about this a different way? Because you do that in football. It's like, okay, well, the, this team is, is shutting us down every play. Like, how can we go about this the other way? And I learned that early on, like from the beginning of my life, when my parents put me in sports to now, um, like you need to have discipline. Like no one's going to tell you to lift weights and eat, eat good and eat, to fuel your sport. You're just going to do that on your own because you learn that early on in your life because you want to get better. Like you want to have a peak performance no matter what you do. And that put me into life situations. Like I want to be the best sports broadcaster that I can be. So I do my research. I, I make sure I get enough sleep before um, I go to work and stuff like that, that you learn through sports and be resilient. Like if you're out in the field and something happens, like, you know how to adjust. And I think that's, that's taught me throughout life. It's like how to adjust through situations. Have there been any people in your life along the way that you've been able to offer aid to in terms of your experience in America or in Saskatchewan and, and, it, and you've seen it translate into another person? Or how do you carry forth the things that you learn in terms of sharing it with others or, or speaking about your experiences? Because a lot of the times when it comes to 
the way we experience failure or when people talk about mental health or when people talk about the issues they experience. A lot of people think like some of the things you said, you know, oh, I'm bothering someone if I ask them or, you know, no one else will know how I feel or you wouldn't understand, you wouldn't get it, you know, but how is it that you found the courage to, to be able to be outgoing and to be extroverted about these experiences that you've, that you've had that have, that have made you go through a lot of struggle because it, it wasn't perfect. I think that that's a really good question because I think when I did go to the States initially, I was very strong willed and um, very independent in the fact that I didn't want to reach out for help. And I had to learn that because the minute that I started asking people, yes, can I please um, have a place to stay with you or um, me going to Atlanta and asking some teammates and reaching out that pushed me to do that situation. Like that pushed me to ask those people and share more of my story and that has led me to be so transparent with people now about who I am and what, what uh, my story is. Because when I realized my story started helping people, like I'm not the first person whose father has passed away. I'm not the first person to lose somebody in their life. I'm not the first person to experience like being told no, like you can't be on a sports team. I'm not the first person to have like a little experience where they're kind of semi-homeless for a month. Other people can relate. And as soon as they hear my story and me just sharing this, like I'm trying to be super honest because people, people can relate. And then they say to you, okay, well that happened to me. And you have this bond that can never be broken with that individual. I had so many women reach out to me saying like they didn't want to lift weights until they saw me doing it because they didn't know that women could lift weights and be strong, or they didn't know women could play football or I've had men that are, are CFL athletes reach out to me being like, you're so inspiring because of your speed and your determination. Like I want to be like you and having that reaction is so, so huge. And even like, so my, my coach actually competes in Olympic lifting and he has his entire life and um, he's been very one track minded and focused. And I, sh I showed him kind of how to be, how to have fun with like training and life. And I think that was huge is because you're bringing all these different elements to people that maybe need you in their life. And it's so rewarding to see when they succeed at something just because you were there for a moment in their life or you were there to help them along the way. And that's why I love, love, love sharing my story. And I love doing podcasts and um, literally anything where I can speak. So I do a lot of Instagram lives all the time because I love sharing my story. Sharing stories is all about, like you said, creating these, these bonds that can never be broken, right? Once you resonate with someone that says, Hey, you know, like I got ripped off or, or I lost a parent or I, I had this bad thing happen to me. It creates that bond that really strengthens people's belief in themselves. And so when these people reach out to you, what is the initial feeling in terms of how you want to carry forth your own motives and your goals and the way that you can help guide people as your career progresses. Like you mentioned girls coming to you or women feeling like I didn't want to lift weights until I saw you. And now, now I want to lift weights. What was it about those experiences that changed your mindset on, or may have tweaked your mindset on how you want to approach how you lift weights going forward? Has it changed your mindset or how, or have you always had this within you? What is, what is the psyche of, how you lift weights and what it means to you and why you do it or what you want to do with it that can, that can help others. 
I think me mentioning that when I was growing up, I was like told that I could, I could do everything that I wanted as a female. I was actually doing uh, a speech on, on International Women's Day here at the public library. And I was sharing my experience and this, this um, woman came up to me after and she's like, I've never heard a woman athlete talk about sports in such a confident manner. And I've never played sports and I've always wanted to growing up, but I just wasn't, I was so shy. And she's like, I might try some now. And me just, just sitting there being like, just me sharing my experience with you, you want to play sports now? That's so rewarding and hearing that. And that's what I want to leave. Like, I want to leave this impression on people that they could do whatever they want as a female, because that's so huge, because you just never know. A lot of people were told growing up, like, you can't do that. Or even now, they might listen to social media, who's always trying to say women can't do this, or they can't, they can't be fast, or they can't lift weights. But you can, and that doesn't change the way I pre present myself to the world. Like, I think I've always had that in me, because I was, I never knew I couldn't. So I've always been pushing that message. And then I think when I start my social media started growing and I started interacting with more people telling me that I inspired them in that aspect, I started pushing out more content of me lifting or me sprinting and not listening to the naysayers because it's like people that only say bad things or, or rather negative things about you, it's because they're not doing as much as you. And I've learned that throughout my journey. And I take that um, with me wherever I go. So I'm just going to keep pushing and keep doing what I want. And I actually do like talks in front of um, high school female athletes at different schools being like, this is how I started my journey and you could too. So just sharing my message and like getting like that little nugget of information to them makes them being like, that's cool. Like she not only does this and this and this, but she shares it on social media, which I think is a huge driving force for a lot of um, people now because they want to share their journey. Because with that can come other people to inspire, could come sponsorships, it could come a career opportunity, you just never know. So I think um, me sharing that message, I'm always going to continue to in the manner that I am, because I love it. I just love the journey of it. And the, the, it comes with, I share the good times and the bad times. And I like, I like that because some people don't. I'm not just a highlight reel. I'm, I'm a real person and with real thoughts and real feelings. And that's why I like to talk a lot on my social media and you could probably I'm talking a lot now so I'm going to continue to do that <laughs> it's I know that people there's there's this famous quote that many people have heard you know that success is is a journey not a destination and it really sounds like you've been able to embody that what would you say to others out there in terms of what the reasons are that they're motivated or how how are their goals like what, what do you if someone was to talk to you about like their goals and about the reasons for doing things, what would be the piece of advice that you would give to others about this is what success should look like, or this is what your journey should look like? Because there, uh, with mental health awareness, I've, I've been doing research on the experiences that athlete, professional athletes share. And they, they talk about, they, they resented the journey or they, they, they would kill themselves just to, to, to get to the NBA or the MLB. And then they get there and they realize, oh, that's it. And then as soon as they, they realize how, how much they overestimated it, it just, it drains their drive. So how did you keep going or what, what do you tell people in terms of when they set goals or when they want to feel motivated? Because mm -hmm. people experience different tragedies and different successes in life. So how do you define success and how do you, 
advise people with their goals and motivation through your programs, uh, with training people athletically or through working with football teams or whoever you work with or speak with? I think, um, to me, success is defined on the journey because a lot of the times, even when I speak with athletes that have been killing themselves to get to the Olympic games and they finally get there and they're like, this is it. They were so focused on the goal that they don't enjoy the journey leading up to it. And they didn't realize that until they get there. So for me, even especially when I go in with um, athletes, I go, okay, what does this journey look like to you? Like, what's the goal, but let's focus on like, what are the elements that are going to make you feel like you're achieving little things along the way? Because you have to celebrate the little achievements. And I learned that along the way it's because I wasn't, and I didn't, I didn't understand why I wasn't having fun. It's because every time I had a personal best in something, I wasn't celebrating. And that's part of it is, is success is like the little wins that you have along the way. And it's getting 1% better every time. I think why we get so discouraged is a lot of the time is the goal is over here and we give ourselves such a small amount of time to achieve it. And we get overwhelmed because it's a kind of impossible, you know, if you're like, okay, I'm going to make the Olympic games by next year. That's kind of impossible for me right now. But if I look down four years from now, okay, it's a little bit better of a goal, but am I going to have fun along the way? And I think that's huge for me because I've, I've interacted with such a, like a lot of Olympians that didn't have fun along the way. And I don't understand why they did it because they didn't have they didn't enjoy it whatsoever so have fun along the way set realistic goals make sure that you're celebrating the little moments every step of the way make sure you get one percent better every day because that adds up to a huger goal because every day could seem very overwhelming when you attack it being like i have 20 things to do but maybe if i have that one thing to do each day each day and don't be so hard on yourself. And that's a lesson I've learned in my life is when you have those little failures, don't be so hard on yourself because you are doing great things and nobody's journey should have like a blueprint. Like nobody's journey should be the same. A lot of the times like you, you look up to other athletes, oh, they're lifting more than me. Well, I'm never going to get that good. So you get overwhelmed and you go backwards, but you got to just kind of block that out, be like, that's their journey. Who knows? Maybe they've been lifting longer than me, which is usually the case. And you got to look at it that way. Just be like, okay, well, I entered at this time. This is my progression. This is what it's like. This is my journey. I don't think anyone's journey should be the same at all. I don't think it should be defined by that. Everyone's journey has in an individual, an individual and very unique sentiment. And I love that you mentioned that, right? That there is no blueprint. And, and I've heard that before from, from others I've spoken with that there, you know, there is no secret ingredient. There is no one right way to do it, right? Like people will, will be hard on themselves or they'll believe. Uh, and I know from my personal experience, uh, I was on the university of Calgary dinos and, and I was just, you know, I'd only played football for a few years and going in there to the weight room. Like that's the lore of the greatest dynasty in Canada West, right? They win the trophy of the Canada West and they've won the Vanya this year and they've won all these Vanyas and they're so amazing. So many incredible, like some of the best athletes I've ever seen in my entire life. I was walking to the weight room with every morning and it was really scary at times. And I looked up to the guys putting up four plates on the squat rack with chains going four seconds down for seven reps. I was yeah. like, man, I just feel like such a weakling. I feel like so insignificant. And, and I don't feel alone in that because I know that there was many, there's, 
the people that you always see highlighted on social media are the ones that succeed, right? You always see the highlight reels. You always see, oh, this story and follow your dreams and, and, and rah, rah. And, but you never see the people that finished second or the people that finished, that didn't finish or finished last, right? And, and um, one of the redemption stories that I really like to, I think that you may resonate with or really enjoy is um, like speaking from a Saskatchewan context, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, right? They, in 2007, as one of Peg fan was crushing, but in terms of what it took between 1989 and 07, they won the game on the last play, right? It took a long, long time for them to win in between every great cup. And then in 2009, they were this close, like they'd won. It was it, it was over. And everyone was happy. And then as soon as Glenn Johnson did this, every single Saskatchewan fan's heart sank. And I remember watching the, the documentary about Engraved in a Nation, the 13th man, and everyone just like, I don't like the Riders, but I really, really respect their fans. I really, really, really do because they're real. They're so real. They're so honest. They are like the embodiment of like, I am like, when you look at just a, a nameless face of a CFL fan, like that is what you see in Saskatchewan. You know, they what through hell or high water, through ups and downs, they're there. They're packing Mosaic Stadium. They're cheering. They've won four great cups in over a hundred years. And they're still, they're still there, whether it's three and 15 or whether it's 13 and five, whatever it is. And, and, uh, and I didn't really initially see it when they won in 2013. I was thinking, Oh yeah, man, Hamilton's not going to beat them. Like, Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. And then it made me think when I really sat down and like analyzed as an objective fan, okay, what was it that they went through that made 2013 so amazing? The 2019 was amazing. And they, they had so many chances to win. And seeing that, that renaissance and that overcoming of adversity, that sounds like such a cliche. That's what made 2013 so amazing for them is that they knew what the bottom of the barrel and them some felt like, you know, they knew the failures. They knew that life's not going to be perfect. And they knew that you're going to get, you know, kicked while you're down. And, and from hearing a lot of the things you've said about your journey and, and, and the people that resonate with you and the people that have helped lift you up and, and, the, the glory that you felt is that there is no secret ingredient. There is no one way to do this journey and that you got to enjoy the little things along the way because it can be taken away from you just like that. And everything can seem amazing. And as soon as it's gone, it makes you realize, wow, I had it great. Look, think of Olympic athletes that you're describing, right? The, the joy and the jubilation and the euphoria you would feel of making the, the Olympic Games when you set your goal next would be so amazing. But for some of the people you mentioned, you'd think, how is it possible that you couldn't enjoy being acclaimed as one of the greatest athletes in the world, in your country? How could you just sit there and like, eh, whatever. I find that so mind boggling because if you don't enjoy the small things that you do, then when you get to the big thing, it's not going to seem like anything and it's going to be so insignificant. So what are the ways in which you sell? How do you find a balance between celebrating the little wins and making sure not to get too complacent because there, there can be a fine line at times between feeling comfortable with what, with the work you've done and wanting more. How do you, how do you find that balance? Can you talk about your competitiveness and, but still celebrating the wins? So what is that like for you? Oh, celebrating the wins for me. Um, would be so for example me leveling up as a athlete like is getting kind of like your nutrition in check 
And for me, it was kind of hard getting that, like always being a hundred percent. I was struggling with counting my macros and doing all that fun stuff a hundred percent of the time. So I kind of dialed back. I was like, what if I attack my nutrition 90% and you kind of leave this window where you can have like a little bit of fun with it. So the minute I did that, the more I was having fun with, with the athletic performance aspect of it. And I was having more good days in the gym than bad, because a lot of the time when your nutrition is, is so dialed in um, and you're not having fun with it, you, you struggle to even go to the gym and you might have these bad days, but I was having really great days and I'm continuing to have them when I'm having my nutrition in check, the way that works for me, that I'm having fun with it. And um, whenever I get a personal best, so when I, we kind of have like some max out days. And even if I get one, like one kilogram better, you got to celebrate, you got to allow yourself to celebrate that because that's actually huge because you are getting better. Whether that be like your techniques getting better at something, which like people, a lot of people don't think about like, okay, like how much do you work on technique? A lot, a lot. So we're not lifting heavy every single day. It's like once every, you know, a couple months when you do max out and getting that 1% better, one kilogram better is so huge. And you got to allow yourself to do that. Like, even if it was just such a small increment, that's success to me. And that's what I, I try to celebrate those little wins. So when I say celebrate, like, I just go out. I like buy myself actually like treats, like cupcakes <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta have fun with it. So along that journey, I allow myself now to, to treat myself whenever I have like a really good day. And if I, if I can leave the gym and be like, okay, I worked, I worked smarter. Like I, it's not like I'm putting in a whole bunch of work. I'm not working harder. I'm working smarter today and I'm recovering and my nutrition's in check, that's a good day. That's a really good day. Because I've definitely been on the other side where I was like working too hard, you might get overtrained, your nutrition was in check, you're not sleeping very well. I don't think that's a win. I think a win for me is like having a really good smart training day, nutrition, sleep, everything's in check. Celebrate those little wins. Don't um, be too, too, be focused on your sport, but don't be too serious. What is the next big goal for you that you have in terms of your athletic performance or in terms of a sport you play or in terms of uh, a career oriented goal? What for you is the next major milestone that you want to be able to achieve in your life? So I'm going to put this out into the universe. I'm really close to kind of um, tipping on um, Team Canada standards for Olympic lifting for my weight class. So I would love to compete for my country at um, Pan Am Games for um, Olympic lifting. So that's a goal of mine coming up. And as well as I want to be um, on TSN as a CFL sideline reporter, I will put it out there. I would love to. I do tons of stuff already, asking questions with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on a t little TV show called In the Huddle. And it is so much fun. And I love and I enjoy it so much that I could see this being a career for me. Because I think as an athlete, me asking other athletes questions, they really resonate with me already because I've built up such a, um, in, in the community, a lot of people know me as a professional athlete. So they actually love when I ask them questions, because I'm asking for almost like a, from an athletic background, and I've gotten really great feedback from them and um, other athletes I've interviewed, and I want to keep doing that, like on any level. It could be on any level, but I, my passion's football. So hopefully, no, I know that that will be my career coming up. 
sports broadcasting is such a fantastic career and it's something that even I myself have, have loved ever since I was a kid. And, and you talk about what it means when you, when you get to speak with these athletes and when, and when you're on that, like on that same level headed wavelength, that's when you feel, I think the, the, the flow of enjoying that conversation. You're not, you're not fangirling like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. But you're not like, <laughs> Oh, who cares? Like you're just yeah. CFL, you're blah, blah, blah. Because CFL football is really great. It's a lot of fun to watch. And um, but they're also people too, at the same time, they're not just athletes and they do a lot more than just, you know, tackle and run and throw the ball and kick the ball. And, and that's, I think one of the best things that is enjoyable about sports is that they are, are athletes, but they're more than that at the same time. And I think when, when, uh, when people are connecting with athletes on that wavelength, then I think that's when you get your, your best experiences with, with speaking with them and really bringing out some of the best stories that they may have to tell as well. Yeah, no, I super agree with that. We're going to hit our three-minute drill right now. And so we're going to – it's basically just like a firing round. So we're doing this for Canadian football. And so I'm just going to ask you kind of trivial questions, and then you're going to try to think off the top of your head and see how many questions we can get in three minutes here. I'm just going to set my timer, okay. and then we're going to get a roll in. Okay, here we go. Ooh, hopefully I know some. <laughs> All right, here we go. And, 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 and these may – like, and some of these may, may have, like, um, answers that are not right or wrong. Um, but some will. So here we go. Oh, all right. So first question is who is your favorite CFL player of all time? Ooh, um, of all time. Oh gosh, this is really hard. Cause I wanted to say Cody Fajardo first. And then you said of all time. And I was like, Oh, hold on. <laughs> um, Don Narcisse. <laughs> Good. As, as much as much as Fajardo c- carries that recency bias, like you, you recency, yeah, yeah, you got to go with the classics. Who was now? Now we're gonna go for a, a trivial one. So, who was the Saskatchewan Rough Rider that scored what ended up being the game-winning touchdown in the 2007 Great Cup against the Bombers? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Do I'll I give know? you a hint. He has cereal that was named after him. Oh, uh, Doug Flutie. Andy Fantuz. Oh, Fantu's flakes, hey, Flutie flakes. They're like, they're kind of like a copy. Sorry, because you you said Flutie. I was like, oh no, Flutie flakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the Fantu's flakes. Yeah. Who is your favorite role model in terms of the the out? I guess the sportscaster world, like outside of players. Like, who is one person in the sports broadcasting world that you look up to, or if you got to meet them or interview them, they're like, wow, like that's that's amazing. Like that's that's the peak right there. Uh, Kate Burness. She is fantastic. And she is yeah. ever since I was a kid too, I know that like her and Darren Detition and all the people like unbelievable. It it would it would truly be amazing. Favorite rider game that you've ever seen live? Oh boy. Okay. Any like literally anything in the New Mosaic Stadium. Um probably like a Labor Day classic game in the New Mosaic. Were you were you at the 2013 Great Cup when it's in Saskatchewan or no? You know what? I was. Yes. Okay. Let's, let's, it was really cold that day. So I must, I was at that game. So let's talk about that game. 2013 Saskatchewan, uh, great cup. They won. So I was so, so cold that day. You could just see like the whites of my eyes and we actually got to walk, walk, um, which they call the green mile now. So, cause everyone like flooded out of the stadium and walked down that path. So but that was at the old mosaic, but that was such a great day. Okay. That I'm going to put that as my best day ever. That, that 
I, I couldn't imagine, like, if the Bombers made it in 2015 when they hosted and they won, that would have been amazing. But unfortunately, they were not very good that year. But we're going to fire off one more question. And this will be a good one. What was the feeling like when you won the car and the price is right? Ah, ooh, it was so cool. Like, I, that was one of those moments where you just have complete, just like almost kind of you kind of blackout in your mind. And when he said I had won the car, I had ran up to like the show model and I kind of like almost trucked her over because I hit her to like hug her. And then I ran up to him and I like jumped and hugged him and he's like, ah, because I'm pretty like strong. So I think I kind of like armbarred his neck. And then he, he asked me after, he's like, how many pull-ups can you do? <laughs> he had asked me behind the stage that, and I was like, at least 20, um, Drew Carey. And he was super impressed by me. So that was, that was such a great moment in my entire life. I like screamed. I ran all over the place. I, I remember I was like flexing or something. I just kind of blacked out there. So one of those moments where it was the best moment of your life. <laughs> that, the Price is Right, you could argue, the most difficult game show to get on as a contestant and to win and to get the price right and everything. That, 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 the lore of, of your legend on The Price is Right will live forever in terms of what you what it means for Canadians to be contestants to what it means for someone from Saskatchewan yeah. to win the most prized possession on the hardest game show and the most popular game show in the last like 40 years I would say so because like a lot of people like were like you're on the prices right I didn't realize how popular it was with people until I started telling people I was on it yeah it is it's amazing it's the it is a quintessential part of the staying at home from school six starter pack Watching the prices yeah. right at 10 a.m. <laughs> that is yeah. right there. That's hilarious. Well, Amanda, our, our, our three-minute warning has run out, but I want to thank you so much for, for the great insight that you've provided and, and the amazing stories and the inspiration to, to women and to all athletes out there to, to really understand that the journey is quintessential and sometimes, and many of the times, actually more important than than the goal that you're attempting to reach and reaching a goal is still important, but being able to enjoy what you do along the way is the most important of all. So is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Is there any last thing you want to say to all the listeners out there and to, to offer a piece of advice or inspiration or, or one little quote that sticks with you that keeps you going every single day? Keep doing what you've always done and keep getting the same results you've always got. I live by that. So I try to do things differently all the time. Amazing piece of advice. Amanda, thank you again so much for being with us on this episode. And thank you for the great insight. And we look forward to your journey into the Olympics, your journey to TSN as a sideline reporter, and your continued success in all the endeavors that you will embark in no matter where life takes you. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Well, thank you again so much. And we're signing off from Huddle Up and we're gonna break the huddle. Here we go, here we go. Tonight, easy, oh. easy. And the kill, kill, Lane, Lane. Moves to the right, it goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it. Nick Foles! It's a touchdown by Nick Foles! Let's go! Let's go! Everything today! Let's go, B-Jump! Catch him and throw him! Let's go! Oscar! You like that? 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Huddle Up. Make sure to follow us on our social media pages at Huddle Up Podcast on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Make sure to check out our page on Anchor FM for all previous episodes and all future episodes.